0: Welcome to the Tanya Acker Show. I am so glad that you are here today because the great Melba Moore is here today. She is a living legend who remains as fresh and funny and gorgeous and vibrant as ever. We talked about so many things. I had a really great time in this conversation. I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, We talked about her upbringing and the incredible distance she's traveled from where she came from and the platform on which she now sits. We talk about her illustrious career. I mean, she was on Broadway. She was in Hair, Les Mis. She won a Tony. She's performed at the Met Opera. She's performed at the Olympia in Paris. She had a TV variety show. uh, She was the summer replacement for the great Carol Burnett. And she is just a joy, Melba Moore. So I hope you enjoy our conversation, which traverses a lot of ground and I think you'll like it. And I also hope you subscribe to my podcast. I am here right now with the one and only, the great Melba Moore. Ms. Moore, thank you for joining me today. This is such an honor. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. You come from a musical family, Uh, So perhaps in that sense, the seeds um, of uh, the icon that you are were planted when you were a little kid. Tell us what it was like
1: growing up in a family where
0: music was so important.
1: Well, first, I have to tell you what it was like growing up as an African-American female, which means more than likely your family is going to be broken. That's important because it's the first community that you have. Uh, My mother did not marry my father. They sold the seeds, and I'm here. My my, my father's name is Teddy Hill. You can Google him because he was very important in the big band era. So I had those seeds. And uh, my mother was a professional singer. She worked with his band first. Uh, But she was a single mother. And um, she was from um, nobody ever heard of this place Pipe Shop, Alabama. But she moved to Manhattan. So I got to be born in Manhattan. But then she married my stepfather who was a musician, who had a son and a daughter, but he lived in Newark, New Jersey, so we moved there. So actually, I didn't know I had a voice until I was about 10 years old, which is very late when you're the instrument. But that's because he was a piano player. He made us, he he had a son and a daughter, so now I had a sister and a brother. So we all learned to play the piano at, at a younger age. And that's when the music began. I needed to start that way because Otherwise, you're going to think it well, was just a normal family where everybody sang, and you had music, and you had a whole family, and all all of these things that nurture you to so that you can succeed in life. And um, it didn't come for me until a little bit later. So, what was that like when you
0: were younger? I mean, you've described a lot of moving around, a parent who wasn't it seems very present. Uh, you know, your mother uh, had to do the very heavy lift. Uh, on her own. Uh, How was that? Uh, And
1: do you have siblings? I do now. Uh, I have half siblings and step siblings, or what we now call the blended family. But when you were young, it was just you and your mom? Well, um, she was trying to take care of her mother, who had strokes, but she couldn't speak. So it was me, my grandmother, and the lady who really raised me. And that's important because... um, she was illiterate, she, she she lived like she was still a slave. But uh, so, and she was from the backwoods of, of uh, North Carolina. Like she, she, she was an orphan. So I can't even say that she was raised by, her parents were sharecroppers because she didn't have parents. I'm saying that's important because that's who I am. But why that's important and why I'm laughing, that's why I have a Tony Award because basically she's the character I played as Ludy Bell Gussie Mae Jenkins in the in the musical Pearly that gave me a Tony Award. In pearly, it was inspired. This character inspired was inspired by the
0: real life person who you describe as having raised you. Some people really can't appreciate what life was like for lots of folks not that long ago. My mother um, is from Clarksdale, Mississippi. Uh, she grew up in the Delta, and it was just a really different time. And I think that it's all the more a testament to how you have not just survived, but thrived, like risen to the top. And now, you know, you sit on a beautiful perch. How do you describe, you know, you've, you've lived and seen this big chunk of life and history and American history and changes in music. Um, what encourages you the most? What makes you the most optimistic about things?
1: First of all, I'm a born-again Christian and it's Easter. That's very important to us. We take that very seriously and who... Actually, that's my occupation now, so that's really first. But as you give me that wonderful question, and now I have the privilege of sitting on a perch and kind of looking back, I feel like um, artists are optimistic. We don't really go by reality. <laughs> we say, okay, I'm really down in the dumps. So we say, how can I get up this time? <laughs> and that's our lifestyle that we keep trying to get up. And I think it's possible because music and the arts do that to you. They kind of daily kind of reinvent you. you you're you obligated to feed your imagination, mm. if I could say. That. In feeding
0: your imagination, you're also thinking about and imagining or visioning things that haven't yet happened. So even when, like, when you look at your career, you were one of the first, if not the first, I believe, weren't you the first African-American woman to host a network variety show? I mean, you really made some television history at a time when there were not a lot of folks who looked like us on the
1: television. I mean, it was just not a thing. There were no black couples. It was Clifton Davis and myself. And we were sort of like the black Sonny and Cher. Is that before your time too? Uh, Thank you for thinking that though.
0: (laughs) 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 Thank you for, I appreciate you so much. (laughs) I had Sonny and Cher dolls. I, know. thank you for, I, I really, I, I love you now even more, all the more.
1: <laughs> and you were a couple at the time. You were a couple. We were a couple, and that was extremely important on a couple of different levels. First of all, neither one of us had done TV before, so we didn't know what we were doing. When we watched TV. We know that, first of all, it was in the category of um, comedy, and you had to be careful with, you know, making jokes. At least we thought you did. Mm-hmm. So we had a couple of people around us that were just good natural comics and uh, who could help um, guide us if something was in not good taste. That was extremely important to us because there was nobody going before us to to make make those decisions. So that's just one of the issues. Um, A wardrobe, I would wear my afro. (laughs) I saw some clips. (laughs) I saw some clips, it was beautiful. Really beautiful. And um, the lady that did my hair back then, she does Gladys's hair now. That's why Gladys is always looking so good. Her name is Blondie Brown. Gladys Knight, you're talking about Gladys Knight. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes. See, I act like everybody knows
0: Gladys. don't We they? do. I'm sure I'm, if they don't, they'll learn. They, they know. They'll know now. I looked at clips of uh, the show that you did with Clifton Davis, and you had you know big natural hair. And I think that was um, very of the moment at the time, but did you get pushback from the network or the studio about uh, being natural, they didn't care about that? They didn't know what even what that was. (laughs) (laughs) They were just like, it's a different hairstyle. Who knew? Who knew? (laughs) What was it like working with your partner? hosting a show together, especially when both of you were newer to TV?
1: Well, first of all, we were in love, so that made it interesting. And then we had not worked together before. He was working. The reason he was called to do it is because he had gone from being in the chorus of Hello, Dolly, which then starred Pearl Bailey and Cab Calloway. So you see the environment was just exploding with breakthroughs. Mm -hmm. But he went on right after that to do the co-starring role in the Broadway show, Two Gentlemen of Verona. So his career was just exploding, but we had not worked together. We hadn't sung together, we hadn't done anything together. Well, we had done a few things together, but those were private. <laughs> we'll keep those private things private. So was it, was it tough? Was it tough working with it's somebody you were in love with? It was very difficult. I don't know if, if I thought it was, that was the issue. It's just that everything was new, everything. But it was very exciting. Moms it was the uh, landlord. How long did you, you were a uh, substitute for the
0: Carol Burnett show, is that right, for the summer? How about that? I mean, that is such a,
1: a big, what a big, big platform uh, to, to launch. It, it kind of says, says what an incredible person Carol Burnett was and is to give us that platform
0: she was involved in making sure that the two of you, that your show ended up in that space? Yes. Okay. That was her spot. Yes. Another one for Carol Burnett. Another one for Carol Burnett. Yeah. But, you know. She's an incredible everything, of course. I think what's also incredible, again, going back to all the varied uh, things that you've done in your career, it is the 55th anniversary of the musical Hair, iconic musical, Everybody knows hair, even like younger folks. I'm sure, you know, hair, if you don't, you'll know it now. And (laughs) you replaced Diane Keaton, which is interesting for all kinds of reasons. I mean, even today, when a uh, character of color, a black person, is cast in a role that people have imagined, you know, in their minds as being played by someone uh, white. There are some, not universal, I think most people don't care, but you know, sometimes there's some like loud, angry pushback. You replaced Diane Keaton, which as I recall, or to my understanding was the first time a black actress had replaced a white actress. Was there any pushback or
1: fallout for you from that? No, that was hair. What did I say? What, what I mean, by, that means is that it broke all of the rules. The hair is where I learned to wear a nat- natural. <laughs> oh, you're
0: saying, so, I'm sorry. You're, pu- you're saying that because it was hair, everybody
1: was open to all kinds of things. Yes. So I'm saying I was blessed to be in that kind of a bubble, really. What,
0: describe it. So mm-hmm. what did that bubble feel like? And how was it different from, like, other
1: experiences outside of it? Well, first of all, it was my first only, broad, not only Broadway show, but play period. Never did anything in theater. So <laughs> it was like being on another planet. In what way? How was it different? Well, there was no racism. I mean, even these days, if you're Black, you know it. Not only because you're with your culture, but we're still in a different area. We kind of know what that is, and things are open, <clears throat> but they're not equal. <laughs> but there, I, let me give you an example. Um, they, they um, Diana left the show, and um, they'd had a lot of different people doing the role, and they weren't happy with them, so they kept changing them. So so this, this black woman who played Abraham Lincoln in the show, which will give people who don't know anything about hair, an example of how they just broke all the rules... How you have a black, dark-skinned woman playing Abraham Lincoln? You know it's going to be a parody or a joke. So she said, how come y'all don't let them ever try out for it? Jim Rado and Jerry Ragney said, well, you know what? Yeah, and they're white, of course. We didn't think of that. <laughs> so I said, sure, she can try out for it. So they rehearsed me, let me do some matinees, and it went well. So that's how I got the role. But that's the kind of environment that we were in. You could suggest and try anything. And people were just open. That was, do you think, well, not people. I'm I'm talking about the cast and the production of Hair now. That bubble that we lived and worked in, that family that we were. Then if, you know, they decided to put it out, then we get to what you're saying, whether people are going to accept it or not. Did they accept it? Yeah.
0: They did. (laughs) They they did.
1: Thank God they did.
0: (laughs) They accepted it. You know, when you look at all of these things that you've done uh, in your career, uh, you sang at the New York Met Opera, first uh, non-operatic uh, pop R&B star to do so, same at the Olympia in Paris. What's the thing of which you're most proud? Like, what is uh, something about that makes you feel particularly triumphant? You're so sweet. I I'm, so, I'm so sweet to say that. <laughs>
1: Um, that happened because at the time I was married to a man who's just a genius uh, entrepreneur and that's the magical combination, the artist and the business aspect of it. He had an idea why would we take you to the Met? He's not like a highly educated, he's just brilliant and creative and um, proactive so he put together the financial team and the business team to make it happen. That's why it happened I mean, excuse me, that's half of why it happened. What you're saying about me is only, you know, the front part that we, we see and we know. But the other part of it is that other genius and those other people that have those talents to, to bring, bring it together and allow you to have the platform. That's why it happened. Oh, I mean, that's why I can't be proud. I can, I can be grateful. But I think you also just hit on something
0: that's so important, especially for artists. It's about having the right kind of team. Like you said some words that I have to repeat. It's about being proactive. It's about being entrepreneurial. It's about having people around you that you can trust. In your case, this was, uh, you said your husband, your your partner in life. When you're in the business and in the business that you're in, there's so many people around right like lots of people who want to bask in the shine and sometimes uh they are not like yeah they are not like reciprocating they're just you know just some baskers one-way baskers
1: Um, yeah
0: how do you discern like you know what are the things that you look for when you're determining like who's going to be in
1: your circle and who you can trust that's a difficult one for me too because i made some really bad choices Somehow I wound up with him both as a manager and and as a um, a husband. Uh, I'm not sure I I know how to, to to counsel somebody on that. I really made some bad choices, but I have some really good, good people. I'm not sure. I don't really know how. It works. If somebody says that they've never made a bad choice or a mistake, they're lying. I think right? you can tell about that. Yeah, right. I'm exactly. Wondering. If you
0: say you've never, if you say you never made any <laughs> bad choices or mistakes, you're probably not telling the truth. So let me ask you a different question. What's your advice for how to recover from a bad choice? Um, because everybody's made them,
1: some people will make you know 'll make some more in the future first of all, I think you have to go to god I'm just prejudiced that way because there's so many times when I'm saying yeah artistry, but I 'm telling you what God created or what I believe he did that you're in a way so that you have an attitude well okay, I know this is life it's not a movie what can I do to sit down and gather myself and see what do I have and I think you need to go to some people that you can trust to get their perspective of, of you, who you and who you are because you can't tell all that by yourself. You might not have nobody at all. So, <laughs> so you have to try to decide what, what do you have and do you have a way to make a living to feed yourself and uh, clothe yourself and put a roof over your head. You, know, you need those things first. If you really want to do this, do you have some ways that you can do it for free? You have to be able to... Give yourself to something then you can get something back and that can start to tell you what it is you want and what, which way you should go. And in the meantime, you know, start investigating. Uh, maybe some people you, you see around you or see above you that have what you think is good management to see if you can find out what that contains and you can learn some things. Maybe you don't know anything. I'm saying maybe you don't really know anything. You feel like you don't. You can start from scratch somehow.
0: Oh, that's, uh, that's powerful. So when you look back at your career and, you know, all of the people you've met, the artists you've worked with, is there someone who made a particularly strong impact? Now, we know that you made an impact on lots of folks, not the least of which is Gladys Knight,
1: because she got your hair lady. But um, is there someone... Because I love Gladys. And everybody that, you know, we can think of, I'm, I'm their fan. I got a call from Patty LaBelle. I thought I was gonna faint. Did she send you some pie? Is that from I said, Is this Patty? <laughs> <laughs> Did Patty LaBelle she send said, you some pie? Wait a minute, she said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what you screaming for? No, no. Um, no, she know I'm on a diet. How do you stay in shape? No, but, you look very spout,
0: <laughs> by the way. You're really wearing you, that white mom. jacket. What's your What's your plan you.
1: for staying in shape? How do you stay in shape? Go to the stay in the gym. But I've always done that. In the beginning, when I didn't know I couldn't do this, I wanted to be a dancer, or an athlete. I just had that kind of mentality. My mother gave me dancing lessons when I was about five, six years old, and it never left me. So I, you know, so I I when I was coming coming through college and high school and everything, I would take classes that would use. It was, a y, but it was called Clark Center. And so I took classes with people who danced with Alvin Ailey and Arthur Mitchell. And uh, George Faison is still my, my buddy, my pal. Of course, he was in the, the dance part of the uh, the chorus of Pearly, And he told me, he explained to me what a Tony Award was. So <laughs> I just love um, that kind of athletic. So I, I just love it. So I just keep doing it. Now I understand it's my physical therapy. <laughs> you still dance? You still dancing? No, but I work out. How often do you work out? I'm
0: getting all into yeah. the weeds because you look amazing. I think that it's a recipe for life, you know, to maintain. It is. It is. It, it's, so how, how often do you work yeah. out?
1: Just go into the no, weeds every a day. little bit. Every day you do something. What do you do? Well, as you start to go into senior, you know, the knees go. So you got to keep stretching. You just start sh- shrinking. I'm not shrinking yet. No, you're not shrinking. There will be no shrinking
0: of Ms. Melba Moore. What (laughs) is, I understand you've got all kinds of things planned. There's more Melba Moore coming
1: up. Tell us what's next for you. Well, I have a current album called Imagine. And it's had a couple of uh, singles released from it. One's called uh, So In Love. Uh, One is called Imagine. That's a beautiful video. And the other one is called Take her picture down. You can tell what that's going to be about, right? (laughs) That's funny. We're going to make a bonus to this album by a wonderful young um, songwriter, producer, singer by the name of Chantel Hampton. I can't tell you what the song is because she's made it like it sounds like a brand new song. You're not going to recognize it when you hear it. And the way she's producing my voice, you're not going to think it's me that I could sing like that. But in this, in, the, in the song, you'll hear the hook, and you say, oh, no. You're going to know the song. Well, I'm just giving you clues. It's like a little So tease. that's part of the, uh, that's going to be like a bonus added to this album that, that's currently out. So we're, we're getting, I just had a meeting with her this morning in Zoom. So we're getting ready to go into the studio um, the beginning of next month to add that to the album. Back into the studio. That is so exciting. What is your favorite thing about performing?
0: What's your favorite thing about doing what you do? Getting scared to death, I think,
1: before I go (laughs) on. Interesting, you still get, you get stage fright before you go out? Terribly, I don't know what the solution is. I mean, I do everything to prepare, I know that was part of it. So that by the time I get out and go get on, look at everybody and everything, it kind of goes away because I know I've done everything I can do, it's gonna be okay but I can't keep it from going away. I don't, I don't know
0: why. After all of these performances, you still get it. Maybe, do you think it's a way that it forces you to stay fresh? Because if you're nervous about not doing well, then you really like focus on doing well. And if you're as good as you are, then okay, it helps, you know, maybe it think, helps you. I think
1: that uh, after you've been doing it for so long, you know the body, in them, it's very fragile. So what have you had yesterday? You might not have it today. So pay attention. May- maybe that's it. But it's been, well, I don't know. It's always been that way. <laughs> who do you like? Who, who are the artists that you like today? Who, who inspires you? I can't say that they inspire me except to say, oh, my God, there's so, there's so many. The, and the artists, you know, what people just pass off, we used to call riffing. I just want to tell everybody that everybody can't do that. It's just that they've grown up hearing it. We've mixed it into all the different cultures, and so it's common. You hear it, but so to me, I I hear like just an in, increase in the the type of artistry that we do. Like a, a lot of the whispering. Like I know how to belt now, but now I got to learn how to whisper. <laughs> That's not music. <laughs> When when you whisper, you like this, you're hyperventilating. You get dizzy. <laughs> I just want, <laughs> and I'm telling you the truth. So, so, but that's one of the reasons. There's there's a few people I can tell you that uh, I, I know are, are incredible, but I I can't say like they inspire me. I just I'm inspired by the generation and how they do things, and how they use the uh, the technical um, tools that we have right now, and um, <clears throat> how they make in some cases with the technology, it's so easy because you can do a pass and then you know, say if it's for the background, and you just plug it in there. You don't have to keep doing it. You know? So I think that the technology and if you can stay up on your craft and everything, you can still continue to do it. Because of the internet, you have so many different lanes. You don't have to just be in one lane because it's only a few record companies. And and as they should, they, they pander to who's coming next the younger generation. Mm-hmm. And so then there's no room for you. You can have your own lane now. You don't have to quit because you're not a teenager anymore. There's lots of good things that that are incredible about this generation. Plus they can now produce me and make me relevant so that I, I can still probably sing the way I sing, but they change the music around me and they, they uh, do different mixes on it so that it fits into everybody's category. So. It's, I I like the, the, the time that I'm living in right now. It's a great time. It's not a perfect time, but I think that we are
0: on an upswing. And I'm definitely on an upswing because I just talked to Melba Moore. Thank you so much, Ms. Melba Moore, for being here. I appreciate your time so much. And I do hope you'll come back. Thank you.